Free thinkers, and welcome back to the Free Thought Project podcast. My name is Jason Bassler, and joining me today is the Free Thought Project editor in chief, Matt Agarist. So, today we are speaking to Jeffrey Hahn. Jeffrey is a researcher and a writer, an army veteran, and a voluntarist. On this episode, we discuss his new book that was published earlier this year about COVID, the lockdown responses, and how it all ties into the World Economic Forum's 2030 agenda. While this episode does touch on a lot of great information, we did discuss a few topics around the end of the podcast that don't necessarily represent Matt or my own beliefs, and we pushed back a little bit to come to a better understanding of each other's opinions. Now, as a reminder... That's exactly what this podcast is all about. It's about exploring different concepts and ideas, and we don't have to agree or believe in all of it, but we do want to provide a platform where counterintuitive and unpopular opinions can be discussed without knee-jerk reactions, but rather with nuance to move past the black and white thinking that tends to plague so many important topics in society. So with that pretext, we hope you enjoy our conversation with researcher and author Jeffrey Hahn. Hey Jeffrey, welcome to the Free Thought Project podcast. Well, we finally you know, we finally made it happen, right? I, I guess it was somewhere around three months after we initially talked about having you on, and you're finally here. But it, it's certainly not it's it's not easy getting, you know, three busy people together on a call for an hour. But uh, before we get started, I, I wanted to say congratulations on your new baby girl who was born two weeks ago. Uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. I, I guess that was probably another reason why we had to postpone your interview. But uh, we made it work and we're excited to talk about your new book entitled COVID-19 Short Path to You'll Own Nothing and You'll Be Happy. Welcome to the New Age of Tyranny. Yep. And uh, wow, I must say that's quite a title. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, the book was uh, just released on February 21st of this year. It's 352 pages. It's received some good reviews on Amazon. And also uh, Jack Lloyd recently said in a post that it was one of the best books he's read in a while. So that's you know certainly a great compliment. I always trust Jack's judgment. Now, you mentioned to me when we were talking about the book that you reference roughly 140 published journal studies throughout the book. And with examining that much information and writing such a a voluminous book, what do you believe was like the the most important or the most bombshell information that you came across while researching that? Um, I mean, it, it really depends on, uh, the, whoever the, the readers, their level of information. Um, some people, they might not know any of this and other people are well-versed, especially those in the libertarian or anarchist communities, um, that have been researching this stuff since COVID started. Uh, I mean, uh, I go through, you know, just everything I could find on COVID, the government restrictions and lockdowns and those economic impacts, um, and how, those lockdowns were actually more damaging to us than anything that COVID-19, the virus itself could have done or has done. Um, I discussed the, you know, the COVID vaccines and the new mRNA technology. Um, I go through the virus database, you know, different alternate treatments. I discussed masks. Masks was a very big thing. Um, how they pushed um, mask, you know, universal mask usage. And I discussed, you know, where that came from and how uh, prolonged mask usage actually uh, um, mimics the, the long COVID symptoms that they talk about. So really the, the big bombshell stuff can really depend on the readers, you know, where they stand before they start reading the book. 
uh, at, towards the end, I talk about a timeline. And one of the big things that I found uh, throughout my research is that pretty much every company, every statistical modeling, everything like that has Bill Gates behind it in some fashion. Um, from the vaccines, from, um, like I said, the statistical modeling on why they were using universal mass, um, all of that stuff. So I, I guess that could be one of the big things. Um, but like I said, a lot of people, some people already knew it, um, others don't. Yeah. And then uh, my last chapter, I actually talk about the future. Um, so that could be another thing um, that is a big bombshell. Like I get into in my final chapter, I actually talk about um, more re the religious aspects on a lot of um, of what's going on. And I tie into, you know, um, Satanism and other stuff like that. Um, one of the big things that I actually discuss around that was Balenciaga and their photo shoot. And I tie into um, the Satanism and all of that stuff um, and how those people that are um dealing with that are actually connected to like, the world economic forum and what they're pushing dealing with like the great reset uh so there's a wide range of topics that i cover in this book we actually just covered one of those on the website uh that you mentioned where the prolonged mask wearing could actually be the cause uh of long covid and it's called a um, uh, mask induced exhaustion syndrome yeah and that makes so much sense. Yeah, so that was just a, a new term that I heard um, uh, actually uh, this morning. Um, and I, I discuss in my chapter on masks, um, basically how, and I use several studies to show that the longer you wear masks, the higher your CO2 levels are in your body, and that uh, prolonged CO2 exposure causes all of the same symptoms and mimics long COVID. Uh, so I, I walk the readers through why masks don't work, why they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, why masks are not even PPE, especially with how the government presented them, saying that um, masks, like when you wear it, is like your mask protects me and my mask protects you. Well, PPE is personal protective equipment. And they're just by the name itself. If you're only wearing something to protect other people, it's not PPE. And people just don't fail to understand that. And it's I mean, it's amazing how how quickly people bought into what government said. And they're like, oh, it makes sense. And then even when the government has now started saying, OK, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. Some people are still refusing to believe that they believe the, you know, the government initially, but now they're not. And so some people are still even wearing masks. And it's it's quite interesting to see people out and about still wearing masks when it was never it was never good. Cloth masks were never use really in a good medical sense. And there's no actual studies showing how masks work or that masks work in that sense. That's um, interesting, you know, because they went really hard on the masks. And, you know, if you think back to the beginning of the pandemic, even Fauci admitted, and several others too, masks don't work. It's not a good practice. And it could cause more issues with people like messing with them and and I actually, I, so I use a lot of quotes throughout my book and one of, um, on March 8th, on uh, 2020, Fauci did a 60 minute interview. Basically he said, there's no reason to be walking around with a mask, you know, that basically masks aren't working. <clears throat> and if you, if it makes you feel better then sure, do it. He changed his mind and started pushing masks once mm -hmm. the, um, head of the CDC in China came out saying everyone should be wearing masks universally. And then at that point, um, that's when uh, Fauci started really pushing it and then used uh, statistics that uh, the Trump administration was pushing that they got from a, a organization that was funded by the Gates Foundation. And so all of that just kind of played into why they started pushing it. There's no real studies or any of the studies that they started using use like mannequins and like form heads to, to indicate, oh, look, it cuts down on spray. But those studies don't really indicate how people touch their masks, how they move around, how masks are properly sealed. Uh, they only looked at um, large res um, respiratory droplets, not the small aerosol ones. So like COVID is at like 0 0.06 to 0 0.14 UM. And all of the studies, when they say, hey, look, these masks are working or the statistical studies, they look at seven UM. So you're talking almost like a 20, you know, 20 times larger in size than what COVID is. So it's basically lying with statistics. And a lot of people just failed to, to realize that that was going on and bought into 
bought into it, not listening to industrial hygienists who are actually the subject matter experts on how to handle contaminated environments in the industry. And so those people who were actually the subject matter experts were being vilified and ignored while everyone was just focusing on what Fauci was saying, not realizing that Fauci had a financial incentive to lie to people um, about the masks, about COVID, about all of that. Sure. And it also served as something else, right? It was a symbol. It was a symbol of compliance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was when the red flag started to kind of pop up in my mind, right? Is, you know, Fauci's saying, uh, you know, we don't need them. All of a sudden, the establishment's pushing hard, saying, no, we all have to wear them, even if it's just a cloth bandana. And it became this political joust, I guess you could say, between uh, both the left and the right. And even some on the right, you know, acquiescing and, and wearing the masks. But to me, I mean, yeah, that was probably the part that seemed the most suspect. It was like, well, it doesn't really work, but we're going to go ahead and manufacture a bunch of studies and, and publish, you know, information claiming that they do work and it's important. And this is how we, we just slow the spread. This is how we protect each other. It's how we protect ourselves. It certainly was suspect. In the book's description, though, you, you mentioned, I think this is kind of all where we're what we're talking about right now in the book's description, you mentioned how sophistry has twisted language, making propaganda more efficient at controlling and manipulating the masses. And this certainly interested me because I feel like sophistry euphemisms, like gaslighting, these were their main tools that they were, you know, employing to orchestrate outrage, to, to guide the masses into their agenda. And for those who aren't familiar, the word sophistry, it's kind of an important one. It means the use of fallacious arguments, uh, especially with the intention of deceiving. And of course, the media, the government, the State Department, they're all masters of this. And I can't tell you how many people that I talked to during the pandemic who knew that they were being lied to. They, they knew that something didn't sit right with them. They saw the issues. They saw the red flags. They felt uneasy, but yet still many complied with the mandates and policies that they intuitively knew went against their best interests. So maybe can you expand on this and, and talk about other observations you have uncovered about their strategies to deceive and divide the American people? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, and, it, and I just to piggyback on that, um, even in the libertarian community or even anarchist community, when this all started, there was a divide between people who were believing in masks or believing, you know, in the dangers of COVID and listening to government government without actually questioning holistically on every aspect. And, you know, I got into writing and everything back in like 2015, 2016. I learned the trivia method of critical thinking, you know, a proper way to apply grammar, logic and rhetoric in order as like a skill set. And then I started writing and rewriting all of my, you know, held biases and fallacies that I thought were true because, you know, I was indoctrinated through public school in Florida and things like that. So my writing became a way of just kind of relearning everything. And it, it prepped me for this pandemic. And in my book, I cover critical thinking is actually the first chapter. And I talk about how Plato, you know, thousands of years ago said that um, government is a life cycle. Most people fail to realize that it is not a static thing. It always evolves into something else. And then after democracy comes tyranny. And so we're seeing tyranny on a global scale. Um, and so the, the sophistry or sophistry behind it, um, they use that. And it's basically, like, said, like you said, twisting language. And that all started with like Isocrates. And Plato and Aristotle hated him for how he was twisting it uh language to manipulate people not persuade people but manipulate and control and that's the whole purpose behind government you know the definition of government is a tool or action of control so if you're if you want to be free you shouldn't be controlled so therefore government stands in a stark contrast to just being free in general and so the greater government is the more control they have and that's their tool is they live in the world of rhetoric they don't use grammar and logic because if they actually use grammar and logic properly people would understand the rhetoric that they're pushing is fallacious in general um they might produce some truth but they always twist it in a way to uh, give you a different outcome, a different type of rhetoric so that you go a different way than what the actual truth is saying. 
And so like after I, I my first chapter discusses critical thinking um, and so gives people more of a foundation to understand um, how government kind of twists the language. Then I talk about trusting government and I go into detail on all the different ways that governments throughout history, and I mainly focus on the U.S., um, have lied to its populace, have manipulated and controlled, and why we should never trust any government agent at face value. We should always question them. Uh, the next chapter I go into is propaganda, going into deep on how, how they use propaganda and controlled opposition um, to, to enact these changes and to enact control. And that's like one of the big things. So uh, one, one way of of manipulating people and lying to people is like with statistics. So they say, hey, you know, this many people have died from COVID. Well, when you actually look into the numbers of people that have died, it's really not that as many as they're saying. It's a uh, a lot of times, you know, uh, you were at least uh, some people heard the rumors or reports where um, if someone got shot and they basically died from a gunshot wound, but because they had COVID in their system or they tested positive for COVID, then they were listed as a COVID death. But really it was a gunshot that caused it, not the, not COVID. Or the same thing with someone who has like stage four cancer and was terminal and was gonna die any day. And when they died, they swabbed them and they go, oh, you tested positive for COVID, you died from COVID. So these statistics basically were was that sophistry that, convince people that, you know, COVID was a lot worse and all coronaviruses are common cold viruses, but everyone viewed it as something completely different, that it was much more dangerous, much more deadly than a common cold. Well, well any new disease that comes out when it spreads, if we don't have antibodies for it, it's going to be a de you know deadlier initially, but it's going to taper off really quick, even if it becomes endemic, which all 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 common cold coronaviruses, things like that are endemic in nature. Uh, so this is how the governments have used the statistics to lie. Same thing with masks, same things with um, natural remedies. They would turn around. So what was it like hydroxychloroquine and or, or vermectin where they said it was like, oh, it's a it's a horse medicine. But it's it's not just for animals. It was for humans, too. And it's been used, you know, uh, by billions of people through since it's um, uh, it's uh, discovery. And they uh, the media and the narrative was like, oh, no, it's only for animals. You shouldn't be using it. And it was because they were trying to anything that was cheap and effective. They were trying to vilify and make it seem like those are not the proper ways to go. And the only way forward was a untested and unproven vaccine. And I use that with quotes uh, because it's really when you get into like the definition of what gene therapy is, that's what the mRNA vaccines are, is really gene therapy. So billions of people have now been experimented on through this gene therapy and most don't realize it and a lot of them were forced so government is very big on engineered consent not informed consent and so engineered consent is they'll use they'll lie they'll manipulate they'll um bribe you know all the lotteries you're like hey if you get vaccinated you can get a chance to win like a million dollars or you know Krispy Kreme saying hey if you've been vaccinated we'll give you free donuts but that that in no way is healthy like a donut from Krispy Kreme is not healthy at all. I mean, we a lot of people indulge in it, but it's not a healthy food at all. And so trying to convince people to get vaccinated with gene therapy just to get a donut, it's engineered consent, not informed consent, because they go, hey, it's safe and effective. Just go ahead and get it. Even for um, like pregnant women, they were pushing really hard for pregnant women to get vaccinated. When my wife was pregnant with our child, um, a doctor we saw was like, hey, you should get vaccinated. You know, it's it's safe and effective for pregnant women. And it's kind of like you have no idea. There's absolutely no studies even showing or indicating that that's even remotely true. And it just shows the level of indoctrination that even medical professionals have because they're they're told you know, what to think. And they just assume that because it's a vaccine that it is safe and effective because all the other ones are safe and effective. And again, I use quotes because the whole industry is definitely uh, immoral and unethical 
especially when you look at what vaccines are and how the government handles them. So in 1986, the Childhood Vaccine Act basically provided liability-free protection to all vaccines. So any drug that's classified or called a vaccine, the pharmaceutical companies have no liability, like they don't face any liability for any damages or deaths that their product may cause. So it's, it's even less it, liability with the COVID vaccine. The NVICP allows the, um, if they can prove malicious intent, then you can sue the manufacturers. But um, with the yep. COVID vaccine, it's completely different. And there's, there's no one's even being compensated for that right now. Yeah. And that's, and that's the hard part is that the, um, for even that, like Pfizer was going into contracts with all governments and forcing them saying, Hey, if you want our vaccine, you need to agree to cover even the criminally intent ones, where if you might've had a chance to sue a pharmaceutical company, you can't with Pfizer because they go, Nope, uh, the government already agreed to all of this. So you got to talk to the government. But that's the whole, there's a special court system dealing with vaccine in, uh, injuries that started in like 1990. And it was basically because of uh, this uh, vaccine act that provided that liability protection. So they finally started this whole court system. And then since that inauguration of the, of the database and the court system, they paid out like $4.6 billion in taxpayer mo uh, money to settle uh, restitutions and claims for injuries and deaths that traditional vaccines were causing. And that's not even now including the new uh, vaccines, because I mean, it takes potentially years to, a, you know, a decade to go through the court system to prove that one of these vaccines has damaged you. And if you look at the database, um, and I like using in my throughout my um, book, I use the open VARS database, and it's a website openvars.com. And they uh, they makes it easier to actually read the statistics out of the actual database, this uh, voluntary reporting system. And they show based on these numbers that since the COVID vaccine started, there has been more claims for injuries and deaths in the now two years that it's been out than the entire 30 years prior of all vaccines combined. So it just shows how bad these vaccines really are. And it also, um, what a lot of people don't realize is that this is just the start. There's a huge backlog of cases that still have yet to be published um, to to the public because um, they haven't been processed. Yeah, we actually wrote that article. We, we, we would put that article out. All we were doing was reporting on the VAERS data. The... Um, the website that you just mentioned, that's put on by Children's Health Defense. They they okay. they just basically filter the data to make it yep. more easy to, to digest and to search. But yeah, we would put that information out and like the VAERS data, we would just put the VAERS data in an article and say, look at this, more deaths and adverse side effects have been reported in like the last eight months than in the, the entire 30 year history of VAERS and like five or six times more. Right in the last in the last eight months, and I think it's it's somewhere in in the six thousand percent increase in deaths and wow. injuries, and like just questioning that would get us, you know, labeled censored, would get yeah. censored, or it, or would get removed, or we yeah we would get labeled uh, for misinformation, and all we're doing is pointing out the government's own statistics, and then like you just said a, a few minutes ago, you know, they could they were they were manipulating the statistics from the get-go like if you cited the cdc's vares database then well the cdc's vares database is easy to manipulate it and it can't be trusted well then what do you have that for right yeah and that, and that's one that's one way they've they've left it like that for that specific reason they've left it this voluntary reporting system so that they can then discredit it but it's the only official database tracking these numbers and it's ran by the government Right. But it, it comes if you report if you make a false VAERS report, it is punishable by up to five years in prison. Mm -hmm. So it's not like there's a bunch of trolls going around risking five years in prison to put a fake, you know, fake vaccine data because you got to put all of your personal information in there, your name and, and address and everything. If it turns out they found out that you were, you know, making a false VAERS report, you're going to get prosecuted. Right. And that that's yet to happen. Yeah. And most and most of the reports are done by the medical professionals who, you know, a doctor who is like, hey, I just vaccinated this child and 
they just drop dead or that this happened like within a day or two days of the injection and that they were willing to actually submit that information. It's not just even family members, it's, it's actual medical professionals. So when a lot of people, you know, view it and go, well, we can't use those because it's just a voluntary reporting system. Well, there's, there's actually a um, report uh, that was put uh, put out by the um, government showing that the actual numbers that are in this database is only like reflects like 1% of the true stuff. So even if we bump that up to 10%, you know, the numbers we're seeing right now for the COVID vaccines, that could only be one to 10% of the true numbers that are actually going on. And a lot of people, again, fail to realize how how bad this could be. And we're only seeing the initial push of it. We're not even seeing long-term effects. You know, if we're if we're talking gene therapy, there's no there's no studies, no indication in uh, very real possibilities that you might be fine, but your genes have now been changed. That when you have a child after that, whatever those changes are, have now affected your child because you've just changed your genetic makeup that you pass down to you know your children. So it's possible that the long-term effects won't even be seen until the children are born and grow up, you know, 10, 15 years. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, this next generation is sterile. You know, what do we do? And it's a lot of people fail to realize that. And we're just very quick to, to jump on board. Um, but again, even a lot of people were forced to like, hey, if you want to maintain your job, you need to get vaccinated. And that spits in the face of what real informed consent is. Uh, that is not informed. When you threaten someone's job and livelihood saying you need to get vaccinated, you know, with this basically experiment uh, to keep your job, that is not at all what informed consent is. And it, it's it's crazy that so many people went along with it and it, you know, created such a divide. But, uh, you know, when I talk about the future that, my view of covid was just it's a live fire exercise it was a live fire exercise to for governments worldwide to kind of get into this lockstep and start pushing you know more tyranny and then to see where their holes are in the this you know front to you know gain greater control you know people pushing back uh people um, you know, protesting, things like that. So using a live fire exercise, you see how the opposition is going to respond. So then during the next pandemic that they push, it's going, they know how to stop it and, and uh, work against it even more. And so I have one quote from uh, an ex-CDC director who says that the real pandemic is going to be a bird flu pandemic, one that infects humans. And I mean, even last year, they talked about how the first human in the U.S. to ever be infected by bird flu happened. And it's just these little things that this narrative that they're going to release a bird flu virus that has been um, altered through gain of function research. And I talk about the studies and who, you know, the doctor behind it and how he was funded by the Gates Foundation and, you know, ties to Fauci and NIH and all of them and how they've used um, uh, bio labs in like Ukraine to uh, track the migration habits of, you know, like, uh, you know, like 100 to 200 different types of birds and where those birds go and things like that. So they already have a real pandemic, you know, planned. This, this, what we saw in COVID-19 was actually just this live fire exercise. It was like a training exercise and what's coming. There is definitely more coming. It's not, it's not some fluke thing that happened. I mean, how hard did Fauci push that? It was a back to human jump. And I mean, he even put out, you know, studies from his team showing how it was back to human and everything like that and refused to it um, through some FOIA requests. He even had, there were some emails showing that if it came out, that it was man-made, he would be tied to it. And that's because he is tied to it. He had ties to the bio, uh, level four bio lab in Wuhan, China, that actually was housing this, um, uh, the COVID and how it, it, they call it now a lab leak. And even the, um, a week after I published my book, the uh, FBI and the Department of Energy came out and saying, hey, we agree it was actually a lab leak. It wasn't, you know, um, a back to human natural jump. So that means she lied that entire time. And now they're finally admitting, oh, it was just a lab leak. Well, again, this is sophistry saying, hey, it's just a lab leak. It was just an accident. But but was it? 
I mean, it, you talk about these agendas that they had, Agenda 21, and it just happened to have, you know, close, you know, this pandemic started right before that. Um, now you have Agenda 2030, which one of the ideas is that they're going to vaccinate every man, woman, and child on Earth. Uh, another thing, like and part of my title of my book, the you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. That quote is actually from a World Economic uh, Forum prediction. They put out a video. I want to say it was like in 2016 or 2018 saying this as one of their predictions by 2030. So it's like from where we are today, how do we get to you will own nothing and we'll be happy and talking in seven years, less than seven years. It's hard for people to fathom that level of change but you look at look at all the banks that are failing right now how close we are to a full economic collapse how how strained our um supply chains are we get most of our products not from local sources but from you know things thousands of miles away or overseas that another pandemic will completely shut that down and if our supply chain gets disrupted even more uh you're not going to have food in your stores you're not going to have uh you know clean water i mean look at what happened to ohio derailment uh, what they went, remember when they went through, um, the whole like toilet paper shortages and that manufacturer, um, getting people just to buy a bunch and like panic, that panic buying is just going to exponentially increase as these supply chain issues continue to happen. I mean, we're fast approaching a full economic collapse and most people do not realize that and they're not prepared for it. And no matter how much you try to tell them, they just, you know, they're just trying to head down, live their lives. But if you're not, if you don't know that something like this is coming and you're not preparing for it, you're going to be caught unaware and it's going to be that much uh, more difficult to be able to survive this next great upheaval. Because plan my feeling is, is that Western culture has really been targeted for destruction. And what we're seeing now. Well, is that's something I wanted to talk about, actually, it, because, you know, most of our lives we've subconsciously, and a lot of people don't realize this, we've been subconsciously conditioned to abhor the consent of the individual. And we've been programmed to put first and foremost, what's good for the collective. And this wasn't really something that materializes a commonly understood engineering agenda until COVID, right? Like mm -hmm. this kind of exposed it. And even then, many betrayed their own intuition and morals to engage in what the establishment told us was the best for the collective, right? So there's this, you know, kind of this moral divide going on, I guess you could say. And we as a country, we used to value individualism rather than collectivism, which was historically associated to socialism and, and communism. You know, in, in America, we've always valued individualism. So how do we restore a sense of pride and respect for what individualism holds for us rather than the depths of despair that collectivism more often than not brings us to? Are, are we just too far down the road to turn back to more of a, I guess, traditional American idealism associated to the values of individualism? Or yeah. And, 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 and I do talk about that in my book and like, I wish I had a better answer that, you know, that there's, you know, sun and rainbows and sunshine just around the quarter corner. But I, I have to be blunt with people and honest that uh, I think things are going to get so much worse before they get better. And that's just the general life cycle of government where you go from tyranny that we're just entering this new phase of tyranny, this new age of tyranny that I like to call it. And it's going to be a while until we get to the idea of revolution because after tyranny comes revolution. But they know this, the ones who are actually running the show, who are making the decisions, it's a, a coordinated effort of a group of people that have the resources and power to upend our way of life. And the idea of freedom is the exact opposite. If people, these people want more power and more control, then they have to squash the idea of freedom. And it's, we can't just go backwards. We have to continue forwards and then revolve to a earlier form. And again, like the, with the life cycle of government, when you hit revolution, you revolve to an earlier form of statism, but that's still government. That still leads to tyranny. That still is this uh, perpetual, you know, cyclical thing of tyranny that government 
in nature is tyrannical and always leads to tyranny. My belief is that we need to be able to evolve past the needing of government, past the need of being controlled and to become more individual and work more with everyone as a community. And it's, it's hard to, to show people that we need to keep pressing forward and it, sometimes you just have to buckle down and wait for the chaos and everything else to end before you can uh, begin. Because there's no way we can vote our way out of this. A lot of people like to think that, you know, we'll vote harder next time. Well, every election, things get worse. And this has been going on for decades and decades. At no point has voting ever brought us back. And so no actual revolution is not as peaceful. Peaceful revolutions, I mean, you you might try to find some localized areas where it's, you know, worked possibly, but in general, revolutions are violent. It's an upheaval um, because, you know, the uh, tyrannical governments, they will use force and violence to maintain that control. I mean, even the idea of uh, terrorism, the root definition of terrorism actually is a government's action against its own populace. The The word terrorism started um, in from the French Revolution when the French government uh, was violating and terrorizing its own populace. That's where terrorism comes from. But when you think of terrorism right now, at least a lot in the U.S. think, you know, people in a cave somewhere overseas, you know, they're bombing people and other stuff like that. But when you dive into who those groups are, you find out that they're actually funded by the CIA and Mossad and they were stood up by them. And so really all of those, yes, they are terrorism, but it's still government funded terrorism. Well, speaking of terrorism, and, and, right, we during COVID, anybody who rejected the state's rules or on lockdowns or weren't, didn't go along with the with the mandatory vaccines, they were they were referred to by the government as domestic terrorists right our own our own yep. government was labeling its own citizens domestic terrorists and there was a doctor uh dr asim mahortra he was just on um rogan on saturday and um he's like he was he's a cardiologist and he he's not so, he's not like dr malone or dr uh mccullough he's actually he has a different route that he came from he was like a very pro um pro vaccine like he he got the vaccine he was uh, very pro, he was like pro lockdown, pro government intervention and during COVID. But during the last three years, you know, he went through this wake up call and he's devoted the last two years of this, uh, to exposing the deaths that, I mean, and the deaths and the damage that COVID lockdowns and the vaccine has done. And he attributes like the, the inability of people to change their minds by even when presented with the facts right in front of them, right? We were just talking about that, all these statistics and all the data that show that masks don't work, that the vaccine is very dangerous. Yet people are still lining up to get their third and fourth booster. He attributes that to, to fear, right? And, and that was, uh, and him and Dr. Malone came to that, those conclusions separately. Dr. Malone called it mass formation psychosis, right? And one of the, the traits of that is free floating anxiety. So, the government actually stoked fear this whole entire time. And, <clears throat> and I guess there was some people did try to, to revolt, like, you know, like did have a, an upheaval. And we, you know, there was about 10 of them at January 6th, right? The rest of them were just pissed off soccer moms who got duped <laughs> into walking into the, uh, into the Capitol that day. But you're, you're like, what, so what you're saying here is that, there's not going to be any change. This is not something I agree with, by the way. I just, that's why I'm, I'm proposing the question here. So you're saying there's not going to be any change, uh, peaceful, peacefully. It has to come through violent insurrection or violence, uh, you know, against the state. How do you anticipate a scenario like that unfolding when the state has drones, they have total surveillance, mm -hmm. they have, uh, you know, all this technology that can completely oppress the population, coupled with the fact that they convinced uh, half the population to completely deny reality, even when shown, you know, factual data right in front of them. How do you suppose that we fight that in this modern day and age? Like, so, I, I mean, I'm, that's why I think it's more of an information war, but 
uh, I don't see a violent revolution playing out anywhere into that, you know, into something good. I, I wish I could I could see and or foresee a peaceful way to remove this tyranny. But like you said, they have the tools necessary to maintain that control. And that was the beauty about the Second Amendment is that we should have the same tools to uh, that tyranny would have to fight against that tyranny. And we don't really have those tools. And though even even smaller tools like pistols and, you know, just, you know, uh, rifles, things like that, those are slowly being encroached upon and taken away. And when you have things like the FBI, you know, a few years ago saying that conspiracy theorists are domestic terrorists, which basically means that if you don't believe in approved government rhetoric, you are really a, uh, a domestic terrorist. And so that that sophistry, it, if you aren't willing to stand up for it, then you're, it's just going to continue. And just too many people are bound by this idea. And it's a fallacious idea that we can enact change through voting. But if that was true, it would have already happened. Right. I'm not saying anything about voting. Voting has done absolutely nothing. I'm talking about information. So, but even look at, um, like, say, let's take Martin Luther King, how he was very big on basically peaceful revolution, million man march, things like that. And they assassinated him. And then it fell apart because they, they put people inside his camp that were controlled opposition and they tore it apart from the inside. Same thing with like BLM. The movement of BLM, when it first started, I absolutely agreed because what police and what I consider, you know, policy enforcers, they, there is a, a, a systematic racism built within the laws and their structure of how they apply these laws. And so the idea and movement behind BLM was actually a positive thing for humanity. But look what happened from that is that it quickly turned into this, um, you know, basically like it's it's still racism, but it's against, you know, uh, white people or other people like that. And it's become even worse um, now, you know, very uh, socialist and communist, you know, ideologies. And it's not benefiting the black community anymore. And the people who are running it, they're making millions of dollars. And it's again, it's this controlled opposition that it gets taken apart from the inside. Same thing with um, all of the, the militias from like the alt-right and what they call, you know, when, when they're standing up against, you know, uh, their idea of tyranny and stuff like that. But when you look at who's running them, they're all FBI informants. They're all actually, you know, uh, standing up and, you know, turning on the people who are following them. And it's in, uh, the same for like militias and things like that. So really, it's who do you trust and where is it going to go? Because from my standpoint, I don't see that route happening. I don't see a peaceful way happening. Uh, so I don't see any any way but forward into greater tyranny, which is the general progression of government. And until we get into tyranny at a much larger scale is that's when we'll actually start seeing people really to fight back in some form and in my book i also talk i get really big into science and like plasma science and like the electric universe and how um we've been lied to basically on theories and stuff like that and that there's a natural cyclical natural disaster that people know about um that is coming and everything we're seeing is leading us towards this event and i discuss it in detail in my book and which is why i don't see any actual change happening before this event and it, but like i said this could be about 15 years to you know 25 years from now that this event is happening but it is approaching and uh but it's a natural thing it's happened before it's like it's, it happens like every twelve thousand years and it's there's there's um excursions and upheavals that have happened where there's a significant decline in population. Are you talking about the younger dryas? Um uh, no it's uh basically it's it's the solar our solar system is going to pass through the galaxy's current sheet which is all we know uh there's a current sheet in our solar system between the positive and negative uh poles and that they flip every now and then the earth actually passes through it i think like every two weeks for the solar system one uh but our solar system is going to pass through the galaxies one and that's going to trigger this upheaval which is why we're seeing changes um 
uh, weather changes and all this other stuff happening in all these other planets um, in our solar system, even though humanity is not there. And so we're seeing all of these weather patterns and changes happening on Earth. But the government is saying that, oh, it's because it's man-made CO2 that's driving all these changes. So everyone's looking at each other, not at this natural force that's coming. And again, it's just a way to lie and manipulate people. But my belief is that everything we're seeing is leading up to this grand event that's going to happen. And uh, uh, one thing is that a lot of people know, or at least some people know, that there's uh, massive highway systems and underground cities that have been built um, since like the 60s uh, throughout the U.S. And they're still building more and more. Uh, but when you look at it, well, what's the purpose of of these highway systems and these grand cities to you know store you know millions and millions of people because it's not for nuclear uh fallout it's not for a nuclear attack because if uh russia launched some nukes you're talking potentially minutes before it hits mainland so there's no there's no way we're gonna find out that hey there's this secret government you know underground facility local to you you go head over there to be safe there's not enough time for that uh, one thing I actually referenced in my book was from a doctor named Chan Thomas, and he calls it the Adam and Eve story. And this was actually published in Time, uh, the Time magazine, but part of his story was classified by the CIA. And it talks about how there's a this cyclical thing that has destroyed humanity in the past and has led to basically the Adam and Eve story of humanity starting over at one point. And when you look at history, they talk about how about 12,000 years ago, we moved from what they say hunting and gathering to the Stone Age and started using more tools and you know grouping together. Well, it's very possible that this that upheaval caused the destruction of a you know of our past civilization. And the aftermath of that is we then went back into the Stone Age and started regrouping and getting to where we're pointing to here. And so all of these things play into a part and why I talk about it in my mainstream science you know, chapter and in the future, because I believe it all it all ties together. And you, so you can't just look at one little thing. But if this grand upheaval is happening and is coming, you know, how do you prepare for it? Well, humanity has survived by running to the hills or running underground. So. I, I look at all of that and I say, okay, well, if government is building these facilities for this upheaval, why don't they tell us about it? Why don't we know? And maybe it's because they're keeping it quiet until we get closer to that time. Um, but I do believe there's something more nefarious involved because uh, my belief is that Western culture is targeted for destruction because we value uh, freedom so much. And that stands in contrast to the idea of controlling people. So, if uh, so, in 2017, there is a, a former army intelligence officer who is also an assistant to the secretary of defense, Dr. Deagle. Uh, he put out was putting out these intelligence reports. Um, he was also a member of the Council of Foreign Relations and a uh, director of uh, international relations with the Rockefeller Foundation. His report in 2017 showed that by 2025, the U.S. would have about uh, 70% less. We'd only have about 90 million people in the U.S. Now, this report, if true, you know, is a huge, you know, red flag because it shows that the U.S. population is going to experience a significant population decline. And how do we, I mean, it's now, you know, 2023, how do we get there? Well, it's possible one economic collapse, food shortages, water, you know, local waters being poisoned with, like I said, the Ohio, Ohio derailment. And there's been other stuff, um, uh, other accidents since then that are poisoning, you know, rivers and water supplies. And then now uh, on top of that, you have these covid vaccines that these mRNA vaccines that if uh, if they really are a poison pill, they could start killing people, you know, within five years, you know, you know, three to five years, people start getting sicker and sicker. And now with all of this combined, you have this population decline that freaks everyone out and then starts driving everyone to the idea of these 15 minute cities, which is what the World Economic Forum is pushing. So you have mechanisms in place to achieve this goal. And like, I wish the idea that we could fight back, but these plans have already been in place and are already moving forward. And I don't see a way of stopping them. 
none of us are in a position of power or have the resources really to make these changes or to stop these things that have already been, you know, these plans that are already in motion. Well, let me, let me and, ask you, Jeffrey, because we are getting yeah. close here to wrapping and we only have a few minutes left, but this is something I was kind of thinking about for the last month or so, knowing we were going to have this conversation because this is something that seems relevant. It seems important, but the instrument of authoritarianism reared its ugly head and I guess a unique way that we hadn't really seen before COVID in the form of pseudoscience, right? Their virus response was pseudoscience. So it wasn't something that many people were well versed on or knew much about. And it was particularly easy for the ruling class establishment to hoodwink the public with, you know, quote, scientific experts and, you know, their scientific jargon. And I guess just the, the illusion of authority. So I guess my question is, with that being the case, and who knows what's next, right? Like, how do we make sure that this never happens again? Like, what are the things that we learn from this that could be signs that we need to look for in the future for similar power grabs, similar to, I guess, COVID? Yeah. <clears throat> um, the one thing is that it's going to be just how the narrative is pushed as they start pushing that fear, uncertainty, and doubt in the population they're very big on that they basically say fear porn yeah that that's how they manipulate so when the next pandemic starts you have to then look at you know you have to research it yourself you have to look at it with the lens of they're probably lying to you why are they lying what is going on yeah now my only caveat is is that they know that people are now waking up to this this lie and this manipulation so the next round like this the, the ex-cdc director had said uh is that the next pandemic if it's a bird flu pandemic that could be the real pandemic and that people really need to take precautions but they need to take the correct precautions they need to make sure that they're not vitamin deficient um, most people in the u.s are like vitamin d deficient and that was one of the things that the lockdown is like no you can't go out into the sun Right. And that that played a huge part on making people sick. Same thing with like vitamin C. You need to have a lot of vitamin C. How sick you are depends on your intake of vitamin C. So the greater the sicker you are, the more vitamin C you can take per day. And most people aren't aware of this and they just are assuming that, you know, their da normal daily lives and what they're eating is going to give them enough nutrients to be healthy but our whole entire food system when you see the companies who uh produce these products and who actually owns the products it all traces back to a few um you know trillion dollar asset management companies like blackrock and vanguard and they sit on the boards of these corporations who produce the 99 percent of the food we see in our grocery stores most a lot of foods that we have are actually banned in other countries because of what's in them and again most people don't realize that we're being poisoned from the inside and that all of these things play into it and i believe it's going to happen in a very rapid succession over the next few years and i well, wish i sorry go ahead yeah no i was gonna say i mean if there is a legitimate pandemic like there is a virus that's you know spreading like wildfire and devastating everything in its wake like I, they've almost set the table for people to not believe it and not to care. Absolutely. And, and, and I think that's, that's one of the things. Right? So yeah. So it really has. I mean, if you look back 2019, they've made everyone completely scared that we were all going to die because of measles. Right. But measles is yeah, such a small, sig insignificant thing that, but people were absolutely losing their minds over that it. That felt like it was setting forward. the table too for COVID in a sense. Absolutely. Like just starting to prepare people to be anti-vax, to kind of be skeptical yep. of any type of information that wasn't uh, bound by yep. their, you know, authority, I guess. Yeah. And like with COVID, you're looking at like under a 1% mortality rate and that's including everyone who already had uh, you know, the, the 80s and 90 year olds who are the mo the main focus point of the people who died. So even with taking in them into account, the mortality rate of COVID is still like minuscule. But now what do you think people are going to feel or freak out when you have a true mortality rate that blankets everyone, including children that are at maybe say 10%, you have a 10% mortality rate. Every most people are going to lose their minds. And that, so all of everything we're seeing is setting the stage for this event and not people don't realize that 
part of like say the the COVID vaccines, these mRNA vaccines are going to mess with people's immune systems and damage them to where they're more susceptible to whatever potentially is coming. And uh, so once this happens and everyone starts freaking out, they will enact more and greater control. And how how do we fight against that? How do we stand against that? Because like I said, even at the beginning of this, the the even the libertarian and anarchist communities, there was a clear divide when COVID first happened. And that's still going to exist. It's still going to happen. Or there's controlled opposition who are creating dissent within these groups. And it, they already know that this stuff is, is going to play out and that's how they're going to do. So you got to look for it. And it's really hard. And it all starts with critical thinking and being able to think for yourself and make you, your own judgments and process all of the information. Yes. And But again, you have to have a healthy distrust of government and what they're doing. But realizing that sometimes things, they, they do tell you the truth. Right. That's why we always over at the Free Thought Project are always pushing distrust of government Absolutely. and distrust of authority because that is the only way out of this. Um, yeah, Jeffrey, man, uh, we, we promised our listeners uh, two podcasts ago that we were going to have some positive stuff to say, but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> unfortunately, we didn't get to that, uh, you know, get, fulfill that promise on this episode, man. Positive wise, like I, I, always, I always say laugh or cry, and I'm very big on laughing and just kind of here to enjoy i say enjoy the show you know may we be blessed to live in interesting times we're seeing government enter this new age of tyranny on a global scale with a potential natural age ender you know upheaval coming and it's it's all playing out on this grand scale and i find it interesting and fascinating that it's happening i mean and it's terrifying too but if you know it's coming you can at least food water you can actually buy the things and get the things that when there's no water at the stores or your tap water is completely contaminated because of, you know, these chemicals that could, uh, you know, from like the Ohio uh, derailment that you can then filter them out. So if you know this stuff is coming, you can better prepare for it. And, and that there, again, there's always going to be light at the end of the tunnel. There's, there's always been a revolution. There's always been a progression beyond this tyranny, but sometimes you have to just weather the storm. And as terrifying as it sounds, there's always a, you know, it's always going to be a brighter day at some point. Right. And so I always like to tell people that, that there is positives, but it's going to get darker before it gets bright again. Yeah. Prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And hopefully we see the best and, you know, we keep spreading information and opening minds and then most people won't be susceptible to such propaganda and, and fear tactics that allow them to go along with this bullshit. So, yep. All right, free thinkers, this episode is nearing its end. Just a reminder, we've been working extremely hard to bring you some of the most powerful voices in the truth liberty movement. We work tirelessly for you to bring these concepts to the masses and to educate and wake up those who continue to sleep. Please don't forget to consider donating or subscribing if you appreciate the work we do. It's becoming more and more difficult to do this, and we can no longer depend on social media advertisers of big tech monetization. Our support network is you. So help us rebuild this organization by going to our website, thefreethoughtproject.com, and at the top you'll find tabs for our memberships and donations. Also, please review and rate this podcast if you enjoyed it. Thank you, Freethinkers. Jeffrey, tell everybody where they can get your book, the title of your book, and uh, and where they can find you and follow your work, man. Absolutely. So um, I run the website journalisticrevolution.com. Um, you can actually buy my book through my website. Um, I have all of my articles that I've been writing since 2016 are on there. I got a bunch of other stuff. I actually started a new section for AI inspired um, articles that I've been having like the chat GPT write. Um, and I've been posting those on there. Um, I mainly um, uh, am active on Instagram on Jeffrey.a.han or uh, Journalistic Revolution. I have two pages there. Um, but my book, uh, COVID-19 Short Path to You'll Own Nothing and You'll Be Happy, Welcome to the New Age of Tyranny, is also available on Amazon. It's available on Kindle. If you have the Kindle Unlimited, you can actually get it for free. Uh, and then it's also available through Barnes & Noble. 
Um, so I was able to get my book pretty much uh, spread out there. So um, it's 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 available in several places. So uh, any 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 place you want to get it, you know, I actually make more money if you buy it for me directly. But Amazon works too. <laughs> well, that's awesome, dude. You sound like a wealth of knowledge, man. You got you got a lot of stuff to say. You got a lot of uh, a lot of crazy stuff that you know people yep. people might want to hear. And um, you know, we recommend to go check out your work. So. I appreciate it. Yeah, Jeffrey, this was a you know a very eye-opening conversation. I can't emphasize enough how important it is that we fully understand the the social engineering, the culture planning, uh, everything that was necessary to pull off the seizure of power and abuse of authority. So you know we never allow it to happen again, and that's why it's so important that not only people read your book, but people like you exist to dig through the scientific journals and the endless CDC bureaucracy to find the truth. And understand, you know, just how well prepared they were and how organized they were to deceive us for their own agendas. So thank you for coming on the podcast today, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I really do appreciate it. It's, uh, I, I've, I've been following you guys for, for a long, long time. Um, and a, a quick little uh, side thing is one of my very first articles on why taxation is theft. Um, you actually, you guys pulled it and quoted it in a meme that you guys shared once before. So I always thought that was pretty awesome. That's, uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> great, dude. Well, thank you for your work and uh, everything that you've done to, to write this powerful book. And uh, we'll catch up with you next time. Perfect. Thank you.